0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and Law Professor Stephen Wagner... We'll discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law.
2: Greetings and welcome to another edition of Wagner and Winnick on the Law. I am San Luis Obispo College of Law Professor and Trial Attorney Stephen Wagner. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Dean and President of Monterey College of Law and San
1: Luis Obispo College of Law, Mitchell Winnick. Mitch, good Saturday to you. Good day to you and or welcome on Thursdays for those who are going to be listening to this on our voiceamerica.com because we're Saturdays live here on the West Coast and Thursdays for the rest of the world. That's,
2: that's absolutely right that's a good shout out and Mitch you know I have to tell you I got to give you high marks for the show last uh, week I was traveling and I was not in studio um, nor was I able
1: to call in you know that's going to tie to today's program I knew that's where you were going maybe
2: perhaps <laughs> I was caught on a real busy freeway down in Southern California with five lanes across at one point and I could not pull over to participate in the show but I really have to give you high marks on the way you handled the Supreme Court cases with Professor
1: Michael Cohen it was great Great. well really thank good. you it's a great topic and and we will be visiting that a number of times during this year because it is going to be an active session of the Supreme Court, regardless of whether we go for some distance with only eight justices or whether we get through the process of having nine, an issue that you and I have talked
2: about before. That's right. And then it does also highlight the importance and the message out to our listeners
1: to keep track of our archives because they become relevant, don't they? They do. In fact, with what's going on over these last 30 days or so for the national election, uh, rather than get into the details of some of the questions of you know, whether a candidate could be replaced late in the race or not, I would remind everyone we've got a wonderful program we did with Bill Schreier about two months ago that can be found in our archives at wagnerandwinnick.com and voiceamerica.com that dealt with the Electoral College and the issue that we're not, Actually, voting for president and vice president when we cast that ballot. We're voting for delegates to the electoral college who will then cast their votes. For a candidate.
2: A very, very timely plug to the value of looking at our archives. And I'll add one more. The case that you discussed last week involving the trademark issue for the band, and I had not realized the significance of the pending case involving the Washington Redskins. That's
1: exactly right. That's an
2: amazing issue. They passed on their opportunity to have review and really
1: just let it all ride on the decision. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because they could have, and Michael talked to us, uh, Michael Cohen talked with us about the fact that the the Supreme Court can pull other like cases into a single argument so that their decision could address all of them. And I thought it was interesting to have the question on the, this was a band called The Slants, and they refused to give it trademark protection because they thought it was derogatory and and denigrated uh, Asians. And they're still going to hear that case, but they chose not to combine the Washington Redskins case with it, which, uh, who knows, yeah, no, the Supreme it's fascinating. Court gets to do what they want. No, fascinating issue. So, uh, so I mean, Before we go on, now, while we're talking about past topics, I, I saw one this week that I think is going to have to be a future topic, that there have been some really interesting intellectual property cases coming down. And we had David LaRiviere back a couple weeks ago talking about several IP intellectual property cases, and there are some just blockbuster IP cases coming through the courts right now that I think we're going to have to pull back in here in a couple weeks and take a look at.
2: We'll do that and as the law changes we'll talk about what kind of impact that has on people in various business pursuits which is always important. So today we're taking on the issue of new
1: legislation in the Golden State. That's exactly right and it happens to be new legislation here in California but it's not necessarily new legislation in general. This is going to the issue of What can you do with a cell phone while you're driving in your car? Can we have some rules of engagement before we take on this topic?
2: I want to call it a smartphone. Okay. And can I tell you why?
1: Sure. Because gone are the days where we use the phone just to phone home. Well, in fact, that's exactly right. So it is a smartphone. It's a, it's a computer. Let's, we all know that. It's a, it's a full-fledged computer that can do just about anything you can do sitting at your desk or sitting at a laptop. And the new legislation
2: in California does reach that issue and I think addresses the issue that there are multi-functioning operational pieces. Of equipment.
1: That's exactly right. Now, there have been restrictions in California, as there are in many states, but starting this January, the, the governor literally just signed AB 1785, which under that new statute, California residents can no longer drive and use their smartphones for. Anything. So, period. And a story. Are you
2: already indoctrinated? You I used The word
1: smartphone. I'm ready to go with the smartphone. Now, if you read the statute, I think it says cell cell phone. It but does. But we're going to say smartphone. No,
2: it does say cell phone. I agree. So, if it, if I had it my way, I'd make them change it. <laughs> so they instead. Here, wait a minute. Let's
1: call the governor right now right. and say, Governor, you know, let's get with the times.
2: Well, <laughs> there is certainly recognition that the phones can do several things. There's references to texting, receiving and sending texting. Let's just think about the the multiple things that you can do on a smartphone, Mitch. Yeah,
1: well, and there's some things that are of great use. Obviously, maps. We talked about that first. Maps are great. When my daughter saw that this statute came came through, she sent me a message and said, this is the last you'll hear from me because I'll now be wandering lost, perhaps far north as Canada. Okay, so without her <laughs> Waves app, she's in trouble. That's exactly right. She needs that. But when I explain that there's, there's no reason you can't use the phone, you can't just be interacting with it. So she could set, under even under the new California statute, she could put the address in the phone and have the phone talk to her, and put it aside on the seat next to her, and then let it give her directions. Yeah, so that you're speaking
2: going. to the issue of the need to make adjustments, and that's what that's people right. are going to have to do in light of the new law, which will go in effect, I think, January. January first. And what has it done, Mitch, to to bolster or to make it more rigorous? So what it
1: said is that you cannot use. A handheld cell phone is what the statute says for anything, period, end of story. And the other change, and this is one that you've got great familiarity with, is that an officer may cite a driver for using a handheld cell phone without there being any other traffic offense taking place? Now that's different. Isn't it, it is different, and that
2: speaks to the issue of what's now going to be called, or has in the past been called, a primary offense. And that would mean that that's the purpose for the officer engaging in a traffic
1: stop, or deciding to to make a traffic stop. That's right. So now, they, before they would have had to see you perhaps weaving dangerously, and then if they saw you with the phone, they could pull you over. And it's an additional because you you weren't be al- you weren't allowed to to talk on it while you're driving under the current California law but now you could be using it for anything you could I mean here's the interesting part and I know you want to kind of parse this out but you know if you're changing stations on your radio this is the argument in favor of still being uh, in favor of this being too far Okay. Yeah. No. Let's do that. We we need to do that just for the spirit of it well, all. Well, that's right. We, we, so, we have to so, create so just some looking for a station on your dash-mounted radio, or changing CDs in your radio is or a level
2: of distraction.
1: It is. Or if your iPod is plugged into your car and you're s- sorting through your playlist. All of those are distracted things. Why are we going to single out your smartphone and say those same things being done on a smartphone are now against the law in California or will be January 1st, but not in these other uses. Okay,
2: so we'll play devil's advocate with that. I know we're coming up on a break, but you've set it up nicely. In other words, what's really the difference is where you're going. Because in in the modern era of vehicles, I think you're talking about the crowded dashboard with accoutrements galore, right?
1: right? Where there's all kinds of buttons and things to push. At one time, I actually thought we were all going to have heads-up displays like they have in the cockpit of planes. Yeah, where it would be projected onto your windshield and whatever you needed to see, it was projected. Right there, and you look through it to see. I, mean, I honestly thought that's where we were going, but it, it that seems to have fallen by the wayside. Yeah, so
2: so I, I I'll take that that question on and, and and respond by just starting by saying that the handheld device poses a lot of dangers because it requires obviously that one hand come off the steering wheel for one thing. Okay, so that's likely. the the
1: handheld part. Yeah, of it and is I mean y- y-
2: so. You, you've heard of 10 and 2, one hand at 10, one at 2. How many drivers <laughs> drive that way? Well, you, do you realize
1: that that's not the way Drivers Ed is teaching new drivers? I, I did know that, but it's still terminology used originally. So 10 and 2 is what we were all taught, right. the top quarter of the the steering wheel and they're now being taught to hold the bottom quarter for fear that if they're holding it 10 and 2 and an airbag goes off it'll break their arms yeah so
2: we're going to go back to the smartphone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that's a, okay so we completely got off the rails there
2: let's go back to the smartphone. Gotcha. okay so the, when we come back we're going to continue our conversation on new cell phone legislation in California that will go into effect January of next year you're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the law on the BizTalk Radio Network and over Voice America. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break.
3: Deciding to go to law school brings up questions like, can I afford it? Will I be prepared to take the leap and open my own office when I graduate? I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true with professors who are practicing attorneys and judges. They mentor our graduates. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Creighton Mandeville says.
2: I wasn't crippled in debt coming out of Monterey College of Law. I came out of it with no debt. I was able to do something some working during that time, and some savings. So I exited law school with no debt. I did feel prepared coming out of law school. I started helping friends with the issues that came up for them. And Monterey College of
3: Law has so many great faculties and things that there were resources for me. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu.
4: For 45 years, the Boys & Girls Clubs of Monterey County have been a vital part of our community. The club's mission is to inspire and empower the youth of Monterey County to realize their full potential to become responsible, healthy, productive, and successful citizens. As just one of the club's programs, more than 12,000 children and families have enjoyed safe after-school care at the Boys & Girls Clubs Salinas Clubhouse. Boys and Girls Club of Monterey County is very excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full-tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. For more information about this exciting opportunity, contact President and CEO Donna Ferrero at dferrero at bgmc.org or call 831-757-4412.
1: Beginning with the Continental Congress in 1774, America's national legislative bodies have kept records of their proceedings. Did you know that these records are available to you online for free? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Congress.gov is the official website for the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. It is published by the Library of Congress and includes the public records of the U.S. Congress, the Government Publishing Office, and the Congressional Budget Office. Remember, members of Congress work for us, and if you want to see what they're doing, go to congress.gov and watch the actual sessions of Congress, or look up any law that's being proposed. That's congress.gov, C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S.gov.
4: Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or just thinking of changing your career, Now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. The San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School, founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admission Wendy Law Revere at 805 439 4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org.
2: Agner and Winnick on the law. If you're just joining us, we're talking about new cell phone legislation that is set to go into effect in January of next year, which actually makes the use of an electronic device a primary offense, meaning that a law enforcement officer may use those observations as a basis for pulling a motorist over. And Mitch... Uh, yeah, and, and, and we should say
1: it's California law, but almost half of the states have similar laws. Oh, good point. And then uh, the other half, or more than half, have similar laws that restrict that type of use from what they call novice drivers. So we're so we're triggered by the new California law, but but this is very widespread. And and the term electronic
2: devices, as opposed to cell phone. I mean, in the in the lead-in, Mitch, I had indicated that I like the term smartphone because of the multifaceted functions that that phones have. Uh, Let me shift to something else. I remember January of this year, you complimented me on my new iWatch. Yes, that's true. Okay, let me confess, that is a distraction. Yeah. It's on my wrist, but it buzzes and it it gives me uh, vibrating indications that I've got a text message or I've got an email and it lights up. It's a form of a distraction.
1: I don't wear it on my wrist when I'm driving. Well, and what We all say, What's the harm? And what's the big deal? So what? The statistics show that if you're driving 55 to 60 miles an hour and you take your eye off the road, in this case, just to look down at the watch on your wrist, you could travel the length of a football field. That's a great point. So, so we're reaching the issue of how much
2: inattention does it take? And seconds. W- and what can the potential results be? Absolutely seconds. And, you know, a- as, a, as a prosecutor, I can tell you now that I've had experience, obviously, reviewing uh, incident reports that involve horrific crashes, and very often inattention or some form of distracted driving is a factor. So
1: let's talk about that, because this is the point that I think is important for everybody to think about. They go, oh, what's the big deal? Okay, so I get pulled over because I've been using my cell phone and I'm going to get an infraction, a traffic ticket. Big deal. Well it's it is a big it's a contributing factor let's assume that let me frame something that i know you've dealt with in your profession you you're using it innocently using your cell phone you're talking on it you're distracted and then the wreck happens and it's determined as part of the fact finding that that was a contributing factor the distraction of that and let's god forbid talk about that somebody gets seriously injured or even killed You're now the prosecutor. What do you do with that information? So,
2: Mitch, in in any traffic collision investigation that involves death or serious injury, there is always going to be an effort made by law enforcement. Very often it's CHP. It could be uh, the sheriff's department or local police. But primary collision factors is the term used in the industry or in law enforcement, and they will look to what's called human factors as part of the evaluation and the assessment of what caused the collision. So they look at things like roadway condition, what may have uh, presented as an obstacle. They look at what happened inside the cabin of the vehicle. And the driver, as you well know, in California and all states is responsible for the safety of the passengers and what's going on in the vehicle. So part of the human factors analysis always involves a look into things like impairment anything, and I'm talking about maybe drug, right. prescription and we talked about drugs, that a couple street weeks. drug impairment. A couple weeks ago. And, and one of the unfortunate events empirically is that with impairment comes lack of inhibitions and a willingness to engage in a phone conversation when otherwise one might
1: not oh, do so it. So you're actually tying the two things together. Sure, you might so do things that you wouldn't otherwise sure. have thought about.
2: So it's it's a totality of a number of factors that go into the causation analysis when any any kind of crash is investigated. But
1: and then what's the effect of that? So let's say there's it's a you you do the fact analysis that you've just talked about and it is determined that it is a part of the cause. Yeah,
2: so if if uh, talking or engaging in any kind of an activity on a smartphone is held to be a factor, it goes into the negligence analysis and would be imputed to the driver
1: as one of the potential reasons for the crash. So we've talked in the past about how some things trigger civil liability, which of course would be money. But it sounds to me like you're going down a path that this could be triggering criminal Sure,
2: so vehicular homicide statutes vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, and the analysis always focuses on level of culpability and subjective and objective awareness of risk factors and things like that. So a driver that, for instance, had had a close call, so to speak, while on the cell phone, and there's a history or a record of that happening, and then it happens again, something like that can be used to establish that he
1: or she should have known better so we're moving up the from it being a, a ticket where you pay money which could could be several hundred dollars actually but now you're talking about this could be a criminal charge of vehicular manslaughter sure potentially absolutely so and now you're so talking about I'll give prison you, time. I'll give
2: you just a classic example so if if a motorist strikes somebody who's lawfully positioned in a crosswalk right, right okay uh, There would need to be a full evaluation of all factors to determine the appropriate level of culpability to assign, or the charging decision, so to speak, in a prosecutor's office. And they have some discretion,
1: so they're going to look at all these factors when they're making that decision. So
2: a good example would be if the pedestrian is walking on a green light and the motorist does not yield and strikes the pedestrian that would be evidence of some form of negligence on the part of the driver would you agree yes absolutely right. so add to that driver is on the phone at the time what it, do you think what's yeah, your thought bubble more uh, more aggravation absolutely
1: right? so those are the and, kind of things that and and it was an aggravation before and now that the the New law in California has now extended the number of things you can be doing, and called it out in a new statute. It is just even that much worse. That's right.
2: right. That's right. And now because we have some statistics on on uh, pedestrians, right, or walking while on the cell phone. So, and we're both law professors, so we don't mind developing twisted
1: hypotheticals. We're going to come back to that one because that's exactly is actually. Distracted walking. Distracted walking walking where people get injured, and then there are lawsuits over the injuries caused by that. Absolutely. So I think that the key, the takeaway on this is one that I I really want people to hear, which is that we're not just talking about a minor traffic ticket. You're driving a, a vehicle that you're supposed to be in control of a vehicle that weighs tons at great speed, can do enormous amount of damage. I mean, you have focused on death cases in with vehicles for much of your career. For at
2: career. least seven years. And at so, I mean, years. you
1: have seen firsthand what happens with, when those vehicles go out of control and start wrecking carnage. Just a matter of seconds, and all of a sudden you've gone from an innocent phone call that really could have waited to you could be defending yourself from a vehicular manslaughter case. That's absolutely right. I mean that's that ought to get everybody's attention. Yeah.
2: No, it's, it's, it's true, absolutely. And, and if, if you need to look at statistics, and I know we've done it as part of our research, Mitch, and I think the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration
1: is probably one of the richest sources or places to go. Yeah, we're talking about almost a half million people a year get injured in motor vehicle crashes from distracted driving. Let's return driving. to
2: some of those statistics because I think they really are alarming. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on The Law on the BizTalk Radio Network and over Voice America. We're talking about distracted driving and new legislation that will go into effect in California in January of next year. Please don't go away. We'll be right back.
3: to Monterey College of Law is not hard and we have a financial plan and class schedule that is tailored to meet your needs. I'm Wendy law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true without crippling you with debt on graduation day.
5: I chose Monterey College of Law because I wanted to continue working during the day. I had children at home and I wanted to be able to go to school at night where it wouldn't impact what my children needed from me. They're really is not crippling debt that you face afterwards. Monterey College of Law has a payment plan which is manageable and they work with you. The other huge benefit of Monterey College of Law is that the professors are judges and lawyers. By taking their classes, you really actually start networking. So I was
3: very fortunate because I also ended up with a mentor. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. For decades, the students at Monterey College of Law have graduated and gone on to pass the bar and become successful attorneys. However, not everyone goes to Monterey College of Law to become an attorney. I'm Wendy Law-Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. We also offer students our two-year Master of Legal Studies degree, which can enhance their chosen careers.
4: I was working as a deputy coroner for San Mateo County as a death scene investigator, and I wanted a better idea of the legal issues that were involved in forensic investigations. Everything about Monterey College of Law was accommodating to the uh, course of study I was trying to find. I graduated from Monterey College of law with no outstanding debt. I'm working as an investigator for the San Mateo County Private Defender's Office performing indigent defense investigations.
3: For more information, call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at MontereyLaw.edu. That's MontereyLaw.edu.
1: If you are a small business owner you're subject to many of the same laws and regulations that apply to large corporations. Where do you go for help? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. sba.gov is the website published by the Small Business Administration. It provides a wealth of information for small business owners including employment and labor law, intellectual property law, online business laws and regulations, environmental regulations, workplace safety, and foreign worker eligibility. Of course, SBA.gov is not a replacement for having your own business attorney, but it is a free resource that may help you realize when you need to consult an attorney. SBA.gov.
3: Have you thought about a law degree? Did you know you can attend an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo? And you can begin classes in May or in August. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions of San Luis Obispo College of Law. San Luis Obispo College of Law is a branch of Monterey College of Law, an accredited law school established 44 years ago. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, we have convenient evening classes, Mondays through Thursdays from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. We have a tuition rate guarantee program that freezes your tuition rate when you begin and protects you from annual tuition increases. We also have payment programs that allow you to make monthly payments or apply for private student loans. At San Luis Obispo College of Law, our faculty is composed of highly esteemed local lawyers and judges. If you've been thinking about a law degree, find out now if San Luis Obispo College of Law is your law school. Attend one of our information sessions and get answers to your questions. Or call me, Wendy Law Revere at 805 439. It is one thing to argue with
1: your friends at the bar, but have you ever wondered what it would be like to argue in front of the United States Supreme Court? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. Oye.org spelled O-Y-E-Z dot O-R-G is a website published by the Free Law Project at Chicago Kent School of Law. You can go to Oye.org and listen to 60 years of actual oral arguments at the United States Supreme Court. Written summaries are provided for cases that go all the way back to 1789. OEA.org also provides biographical information on every United States Supreme Court justice and offers an online tour of the Supreme Court building. Go to OEA.org to see if you have what it takes to present a winning argument.
2: Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. I am San Luis Obispo College of Law, Professor Stephen Wagner. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Mitchell Winnick, Dean and President of Monterey College of Law and San Luis Obispo College of Law. And we have been speaking about cell phone usage in vehicles and distracted driving. And what got us started was Assembly Bill 1785, which goes into effect in January. That's a California piece of legislation, which will now make cell phone usage a primary violation, which means that law enforcement may use that observation as a
1: lawful basis to pull over a motorist. Stephen, we're talking about the use of or how you would use the fact that someone was illegally using a handheld device a wireless device as a a factor in evaluating culpability and fault. Uh, But some people might say, well, how's anybody going to know? I'm just going to say, uh-uh, the police yeah. officer pulls me over and says, I think you were on your phone or you were using your, your handheld wireless device. And I go, no, I wasn't. Sure. So the fact of the matter is that device has a tale to tell, doesn't it? It does. It does. It's,
2: it's a very important and potent piece of evidence, actually, because as you probably know, most of our listeners probably know this is that it's really difficult. There's two issues. One is to delete ish things permanently from a smartphone is a very challenging undertaking. It, it may be close to impossible.
1: So we're so, getting to the point that that device itself has information of... When it was used, at what time, yes. and even where it was it's used, it's
2: very valuable to timestamp events and mm-hmm. may even be able to establish who made the inputs. But your issue was a really good question because it's going to the issue of the hot potato scenario. In other words, the driver of a vehicle that's just involved in a crash may well think that I got to get that mobile phone out of my area here and toss it where On the back seat,
1: <laughs> right, right, back seat, or hey, the seat.
2: you take it to one of his sidekicks. Right? Right. Right. And there will be a claim that he wasn't or she wasn't on the phone at the time. Okay, mm-hmm. so often the cell phone's going to be seized, lawfully seized as a piece of evidence and a search warrant should be obtained to get into the
1: data of that cell phone. And it so with that search phone, with that search warrant, they can get what kind of stuff? Sure. And you've so used this in cases, right? I'm sure. So what kind of things so did you get? So the search
2: warrant would be served uh, on the, uh, can weave in some intellectual property here right. in a odd way. It would actually right. be the carrier, so Sprint, right. ATT, horizon, perhaps, right? And what you would get in return would be logs and data that actually shows recent usage and inputs. Now, um, on the break, we were talking about text messages. Right, that's that's, probably the easiest to track. Those are out-of-court statements, if you really think about it, from an evidentiary standpoint. So if the text messages make reference to authorship, then that's a means of establishing that the owner, user, potentially driver of the vehicle was actually the one making the
1: inputs. So you've got the information off the phone itself, which then i mean if people haven't thought through this, this idea that no, no I wasn't doing that with it, your officer, you were mistaken the fact is they need to realize the device itself is going to have a tale to tell that is very likely going to be discoverable with a properly issued search warrant.
2: Let me give you an example of a case from Southern California I won't name the case or the parties at all, but there was a text message in a communication found on a driver defendant who was charged with implied malice murder, second-degree wow. murder. And there was a text message that was, in essence, a warning to that individual not to drive that night. Oh. Admissible. Wow. Once it was established and foundation was established, sure. admissible to establish that the person was they- on notice. And that somebody else across. had identified
1: that it wasn't safe for them to be driving. Yeah, so valuable piece of that. So let's connect this next dot, which then is is just happening. If you've got a car from the last what 10, 15, almost twenty years, there's there's a monitoring, there's a recording of information about the car's behavior as well, right? That's right. The same kind of black box we see searched for in that's train right. wrecks and plane wrecks. There's an electronic recording device on your vehicle. That's
2: right. There are what, what are called electronic data recorders or modules that are placed in vehicles. And I don't know the specific year that this actually started. But I think if your car is 2000 or newer, it, the likelihood that you've got one
1: installed is really high. And so that's going to talk about the behavior of the vehicle uh, yes. At, at, by time yes, and location. location. So
2: what happens there, Mitch, typically is that an event such as airbag deployment mm-hmm. would trigger the operation of the so-called what people think of as a black box. Right, so, you in, know, the point of impact. Right. And then there's downloads and inputs that can establish what the driver did in terms of steering inputs, braking inputs, acceleration inputs, or movements of the vehicle. So Very you tie
1: that to what we just talked about which is this data record of your handheld electronic device and now you see the full picture
2: you, that you this do. isn't a
1: he said she said I saw you doing or not there's going to be very objective data that's, that's going right. to be used absolutely right and the and the part that I hope everyone is catching is that in that five seconds of distraction, we're not talking about the twenty-five or fifty-dollar fine that the California statute talks about. We're talking about the potential civil and/or criminal liability that could come from your negligence. And the other thing, Mitch,
2: that's important, and it ties directly to what you were referencing before. And I think you were citing to one of the statistics where five seconds could equal. Did you say a, a football? More field? than a football field. In a football field. At 55. At 55. So the other thing to factor in there is what's called perception reaction time, how long it takes someone to react to an obstacle. And when you couple that with potential distraction and the impact that distraction has on one's ability to perceive an obstacle, right. you're starting to look at more and more aggravation or potential
1: negligence. So I think it's, imp- it's important to know that, and again, we're using this California statute to help understand the scope of it, but I kind of like the way they've defined this. And they, they do talk about we were giving him, giving the governor grief. I think we have to say we're sorry. We we said we it said cell phone. It actually doesn't say that. It says electronic wireless communication device. So it is broader than just what we considered old cell phones. It's a.k.a. smartphone. Come smartphone. On. That's right. But it talks about uh, when you are allowed to use it, and it does specifically say that if two conditions are satisfied, the first one, which is that the device is now mounted. On either the windshield or the dashboard. So if you have a clip and you have snapped it in and clicked it on and it's now no longer handheld, that is now okay. So they've,
2: th- yeah, th- that's taken the handheld feature which out. Which is it.
1: your point of the idea of taking a hand off the wheel and having it doing something else. So, right. So that's one piece. But the other piece goes to the issue of distraction, which is that it says you can only be doing a function in which the driver's hand is used to activate or deactivate a feature or function with the motion of a single swipe or a tap of the driver's finger so again it, it's trying to define what is the limit of use. so you can tap it you can swipe it but if if even mounted on the dashboard, if you are doing something that's requiring, you know, excessive scrolling, uh, my guess is typing an entire text message. That's not a single tap. Right. I mean, that may be 144 taps. Yeah, so there's
2: there's <laughs> I think, no, that's a great point. So there's what I guess you'd call a carve out or an exception. That, right. So it's not, this doesn't signal the abolition of smartphones or the use or the, or the possession of a cell phone or smartphone in your car. The idea is that if it is mounted, it would only require a touch or a swipe. But as you mentioned, well, I, th- I think where you're hinting is that one might go a little further with that and
1: engage in communication. That's right, and that's still not going to be okay because the issue goes back to this half million people injured in motor vehicle crashes involving distracted drivers. And, and I don't want to pick on young drivers, although we tend, you know, there's a tem- tendency to say this is age related. I'm not sure whether it's because the use of the devices. Is age-related, although I'm finding that harder to believe now. You mean but that you're acknowledging that there's prolific use of devices in a younger age by group? younger?s Although I gotta say that I'm not sure how true that is anymore. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's universal with the younger group, but it's getting pretty close to universal with with everybody, even as old as us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> All, right. All right. I'm down with that. But here's the other statistic that I think is just ought to be you know catch everybody's attention. You know, almost 40 percent of the distracted. Drivers who were in fatal crashes were young drivers. I mean, that's just an astounding statistic. 40% of the distracted drivers in fatal crashes were young drivers, which they defined as, you know, in their 20s or younger. Yeah. So, you know, it's that we, as parents, you know, you've got a teenager, my kids are still in this age zone. Uh, they're in the high-risk category. I I suspect
2: that has a lot to do with the number of... Let's come back to that issue because I think it might relate to the number of uses in in a cell phone and options. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. We're talking about distracted driving and new cell phone legislation soon to go into effect in California. Please don't go away. We'll be right back for our last segment.
3: Making a change in career is a serious decision that affects both you and your family. You have many questions that need to be answered before you can make a commitment. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true. And it's affordable. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Dan Cullum says.
4: Before I was entering law school, I was an airline pilot. After I retired, I decided that I would go to law school. Monterey College of Law was the avenue to Fulfill that desire. I love Monterey College of Law. It was small classes. The professors were very helpful, personal. You could talk to them. Tuition is not exorbitant at Monterey College of Law, which is the opposite of the way it is at other places. It's affordable. They have a, a program at Monterey College of Law that lets you pay as you go. So it's financially possible.
3: There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. Long before Woody's Cruz
6: Beach Street, kids and teens have needed to know that they are important and that they belong. Since 1969, the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz has provided a place where potential is released and great futures are forged. Help celebrate our 45th anniversary by emailing your club memories and pictures to celebrate 45 years at boysandgirlsclub.info or call 423-3138, extension 23. We are also excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. Contact Executive Director Bob Langseth at 423-3138 extension 21 or email bob at boysandgirlsclub.info to learn more about this exciting opportunity. Consumer scams, fraud,
1: deceptive business practices. Where do you go for protection? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner & Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands. FTC.gov is the website published by the Federal Trade Commission. As the nation's consumer protection agency, the FTC wants to know about businesses that cheat people out of money. If you've been the victim of consumer fraud, you should file a complaint at ftc.gov. Although the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection will not help you recover your individual damages, your complaint may initiate an investigation that results in companies or individuals being sued by the government for fraud deceptive practices, or unfair business practices. If you want more information about how to protect yourself as a consumer, go to the Bureau of Consumer Protection at ftc.gov.
5: Are you ready to start law school now? If you've just graduated from college or are thinking of changing your career, now is the time to take that first step. Slow College of Law is accepting applications for May 2016. San Luis Obispo College of Law is an accredited branch of the Monterey College of Law School founded 43 years ago. You can get a law degree from an accredited law school right here in San Luis Obispo. Their highly esteemed faculty is comprised of local judges and lawyers. San Luis Obispo College of Law classes are held conveniently in the evenings and the campus is conveniently located in downtown San Luis Obispo. Let the professionals show you how to make becoming a lawyer a reality. Make today the first step in changing your life. Attend an information session and get answers to your questions. Call Dean of Admissions, Wendy Law Revere at 805-439-4096. Visit slowlaw.org for more information. That's slowlaw.org. The U.S.
1: Constitution has recently created national headlines in the debate about filling the vacancy created by the sudden death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The president and certain members of Congress are at odds about what the Constitution requires when there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court. Who is right? And how can everyday citizens be informed enough to know the answer? This is Mitchell Winnick, co-host of Wagner and Winnick on the Law, with a reminder that there are times that you can take the law into your own hands constitutioncenter.org is a website published by the National Constitution Center. The center was established by Congress to provide information about the United States Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. If you want information about the Constitution's history and what it means today, go to constitutioncenter.org and form your own opinion about the law.
2: Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the law. We've been talking about distracted driving and cell phone legislation that will soon be in effect in California, which will make the use of a cell phone a primary offense, meaning that law enforcement may use that observation as a lawful basis to pull a motorist over. And Mitch, I just wanted to close on my thought about, in response to your reference to the uh, younger or the percentage of... of uh, right, 40 almost 40%. Is it 40%? Uh,
1: 40% of those involved in distracted driving fatalities were in their 20s. Oh, in their 20s. Okay. in their 20s. Okay. And and
2: what I was going to add to that is that I think that might have something to do with the prolific use of applications on right. a lot of smartphones. Right. In other media. words, my daughter's phone has more apps than mine, if you know
1: what I mean. <laughs> it's true. Well, I'm sure that we're going to eventually evolve as organisms where there's a we only need two fingers on that left hand <laughs> <laughs> to grasp the device and probably only need one finger on the other to yeah. do the, the typing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, let's let's talk about one other thing since we're talking about the use of these. You know, we're, the the California statute goes to the question of distract, distracted driving, and hopefully we have made that point well here that that would get everybody's attention. And even in those jurisdictions that don't have laws as restrictive, because as we know, on Voice America we're heard around the world, you know, in, in multiple countries, and many countries do not yet have as restrictive of Laws related to driving and using uh, devices, but this this is a pretty clear call to action to say that it really shouldn't matter what the law is. The law is trailing the reality of the statistics and the danger, the death. And the injuries. That and are you
2: know caused. what I wanted to add, and it's a, it's really a return to something that I may have missed at the first sweep, Mitch, with respect to culpability. I didn't address the issue of civil liability necessarily right. because you led me into criminal, but it dawned on me now that if there is a law in effect that prohibits the use of a cell phone and a collision occurs, that might put into play negligent negligence per se statutes meaning that that could be used as a
1: basis for establishing negligence right so that you know a reminder to everyone that you know we take this for granted everybody knows the difference between the civil and the criminal side but on the criminal side you were talking about you know fines and possible incarceration based on this action on the civil side you could be talking hundreds you could be talking millions of dollars from the damages caused by this and that your violation of the law becomes a factor. That's right? absolutely right. Now, I see you have some tables and some statistics there, and you've got a little bit of a smile going. Well, okay, I wanted to go one step further in the, the last segment here to talk about it. it's not just driving. There is, believe it or not, a growing concern about distracted walking. Distracted walking. Mm. Distracted walking. And a recent Pew study said that uh, 53%, more than half, of all adults have been either on the giving or the receiving end of a distracted walking encounter. And they give it examples of people, you know, walking off a pier, which, you know, we're here on the coast. I could could see it happen. That's the Australian one. That's the Australian one. But, you know, i'm as equally concerned about people stepping into traffic absolutely and you know, failure to you know, walk failure to see that a light has changed i mean the distracted walking part I, I think it could be just as dangerous
2: it's a very very real concern and you know mitch in the spirit of uh, tipping our cap to, to liability issues that we often do in laws uh, it raises an issue of comparative or contributory contribu- Um, Contributory negligence, sorry, tongue twister, comparative fault or contributory fault on the part of somebody that might be distracted. So remember the hypothetical of the pedestrian that struck? Right. If that person's on their cell phone, and not paying so attention. So walking through the... Even the, on a green, even right. on a green, somebody would cite to that as a form of comparative fault. Right. If they had been
1: paying attention, they would have seen the car turn into them and they could have moved out of the way right.
2: or stopped walking. That's right. In, in, <laughs> a, in a criminal case, it would probably not serve to relieve the driver of culpability because right. of what's called the substantial factor rule. Right. But in a civil case, I can actually see it chipping away at monetary monetary damages,
1: potentially. Yeah. Well, well, that's a big deal. So you, you brought up the issue of age and the the study that I was referencing really does point out that there is a a dramatically different factor related to age. They talked about that having one of these uh, distracted walking encounters that if you're between the age of 18 and 24, over half have bumped into something or someone but over seventy percent in that age group have been bumped into okay. by something or, or by someone doing it at the other end of the spectrum when you get to the sixty five plus which you know neither of us are in yet twenty seven percent have been bumped into, but only four percent of them have actually bumped into someone while they 're on their phone but so it's still it 's still quite a, a quite an interesting statistic that Walking, distracted walking. I I have a hard time seeing that becoming an ordinance. Well,
2: I can (laughs) I can certainly see it being a potential problem as far as it it
1: being a a a hazard for sure. Yeah. So let's let's just summarize as we wrap up on this section. So we started talking about it because it's a new California law that's coming in in January. But our point really is that when you're talking about dramatic statistics that we're talking about half a million people uh, being injured because of distracted driving you brought up the fact that these devices just get more complicated and more helpful in many ways but there's just more things you can do with them it's not just talking anymore it's maps, it's music it's social media, it's texting, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, I and mean, we could go on and on. It's games. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, I could see people play, trying to play games while they're driving down the freeway at 60 miles an hour. It, you talked about Pokemon Go. Absolutely, you yeah. You know, Mitch, I'll just pull from my playbook as a prosecutor, and it's,
2: it's a, a, a refrain that I've often used, and that is, driving ain't easy, yeah, It really isn't. So, and that really, if this was a PSA or a message that we wanted to get out, it's true. You know, you're adding an extra layer of difficulty when
1: you use a phone. Well, I, I hope everyone will will take note and be safe. You've been listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law here at KSCO. You can hear an archive of this show at WagnerandWinnick.com and also at VoiceAmerica.com. And as we alert you each week and every week. If you don't know the law, know a lawyer.
4: and discussing your personal rights within the legal system. Law School Dean Mitchell Winnick, along with law professor Stephen Wagner, will discuss the sometimes ever-changing laws and policies to keep you in the know. Listen every Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. If you don't know the law, know a lawyer.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program, brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel.